Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Warning, the following podcast does have veterans in it. <laughs> yeah this is all right um okay everyone welcome back uh thanks for joining us last week thanks for joining us this week for i think um uh a movie that's actually fairly close to the one we watched last week we're uh last week we did brief encounter now we're uh, watching and reviewing the movie it lost uh the oscars to that same year uh that is of course the Best Years of Our Lives, which is a, according to Wikipedia, describes it as a 1946 American epic drama film, and I understand that to mean a very long drama film uh, <laughs> about three uh, American uh, service members, uh, two soldiers and a sailor, who return back from World War II and try to sort of reintegrate, reacclimate to life as uh, civilians coming back to loved ones after a long time, you know, and the various changes that they've undergone during the war, mental or physical. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's an enormously successful movie, 1946. So it was very also contemporary and also, yes, very long. So before we start getting into the movie, uh, we like to do a little uh, introduction, a little prompt to keep the mood light, introduce ourselves. And for this one, it's if you were to sort of rewrite this movie about three people returning from some other war, fictional or otherwise, not World War II, you know, from a movie or whatever, right? What different setting would it be? I'll go first. My name's Jack. And I would have them returning from the conflict of the 2020 film, the sort of a eponymous conflict of the war with Grandpa. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what the shit is that? <laughs> it's an absolutely garbage movie about uh, starring Robert De Niro, where his his <laughs> grandchild engages in a prank war with him. Is that the one with Zac Efron? <laughs> There was Christ. so so many casualties. <laughs> <laughs> the the nerf guns. cushions. We lost, we lost so many good people to pranks gone wrong. <laughs> oh, the war with Grandpa. <laughs> they have PTSD that... around old people. Yeah, that's probably. Why they, that's why they all avoid their family. Is that a part of the uh, the bad Grandpa series? <laughs> I think right. it's a spiritual uh, successor. Uh, yeah. uh, some kid showing his uh, uh, war trophy AARP card that he got. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's part of the series where Robert De Niro has a lot of bills and no money. <laughs> uh, I got that one. Um, my name's Mike, <laughs> and uh, I would uh, I would have this movie be uh, after the Great Emu War of nineteen thirty two. That was my other one. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Wait, what? We went yeah, to war with giant birds? No, Australia the Australians did, did but uh, yeah. <laughs> of course they did. And they lost. <laughs> Come here, you bugger. <laughs> oh, the great Emu War, huh? I'm going to go read about that after this. Yeah, that's... 
I was Mike. I was a hundred percent going to say the Great Emu War until I remembered the War with Grandpa. Oh, I'm glad because that was the only one I thought of. <laughs> I had no backup. <laughs> yeah, we did the exact same thing. I was like, "Does it have to be fictional?" And then you came like <laughs> ten minutes later. Mm, does it have to be fictional? <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, my name is Shane, and I would have our veterans be veterans of the junkyard wars <laughs> in which two rival teams are given tasks of building some kind of machine in one day. <laughs> Only the best team will continue on with their construct. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Uh. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh. All right, I'm June, and uh, my characters would be veterans of uh, race wars from the Fast and Furious. <laughs> oh, I thought that was going somewhere way different. <laughs> no. Uh, and they all have no cars because <laughs> they lost their peaks. <laughs> the guy had like 100,000 under the hood. <laughs> oh, race wars. God damn it. Oh. I, I for sure thought someone was going to do Starship Troopers. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, off the bat, didn't even consider, like, Star Wars or, all, you know, all the easy ones. Starship Troopers, yeah. yeah. You know what to do, Homer. <laughs> <laughs> the mobile infantry made Homer the man he is today. <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Tired, Everyone yeah. ha- Everyone hates Fred because he was he was in Fleet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man! Alrighty, well, with that out of the way, so what is the best years of our lives? Um, so it came out in 1946. I guess you know, shortly after World War II. Um, I don't want to get too far into the plot, but it's it's three people: one a sailor, you know, from the Pacific Theater; one a, a, an army infantryman who was in the Pacific, and then a bombardier. And they all kind of come back to society in, uh, I think, a a city that's meant to resemble Cincinnati or something like that. Um, And uh, sort of struggle to, like, change into, like, their roles, right? Like, some of them were previously sort of, uh, you know, high up or respected in the military and come back and can't get a job. Others, the reverse, that kind of thing. Um, There's a lot of it. There's a lot of interesting dynamics. They all kind of have to cope with the various different... I guess, things they bring back with them, um, for lack of a a more specific term. Um, But with that said, why don't we hand it over to Mike to sort of recap the the plot in and of itself. All right. So, yeah, good introduction kind of covers the basics. We start in uh, some airfield in the United States, uh, I'm not sure exactly where, with uh, Fred and Homer and Al, which are our three main characters, the the three that you kind of discussed in the beginning. Uh, Fred is the Army Air Corps officer who uh, flew uh, as a bomb uh, bombardier. The Navy guy, his name is Homer, and uh, he's missing his hands from a, a combat mission where uh, they were attacked by uh, the Japanese and his and his ship was sunk and his hands burnt off. And Al, who is the uh, the oldest of the bunch, he was the uh, the sergeant. Uh, in the army. All three of them are from a town called uh, Boone City, which I guess is Cincinnati, but I thought Boone was a real place. Um, doesn't matter. They are trying to catch a flight home and all the airports are booked up. You know, we've got a mass 
of, of American soldiers returning back to the States. And uh, we already kind of see with Fred's attempt to get a, a ticket through the, uh, the proper channels at an airport, a civilian airport, that he's really kind of considered uh, second class. Um, he goes back to the uh, the ATC to try to get a, a military cargo plane, uh, like a hop to uh, Boone City, and uh, kind of cons his way um, into letting people, th- you know, the guy that's working the, the ticket office or whatever, thinking that he has orders to, to go that direction. Uh, he goes, sits down next to this other guy, Homer, who's asleep, and blah, blah, we find out his hands are gone. They get on the plane together, they're leaving for Boone City. I'm going to rush through this a bit because we got a lot to cover and we're only about five minutes into three hours. Um, <laughs> they have their little introduction. You kind of see that they kind of share war stories. We figure out a little bit about them, uh, about where they're going. Homer has a girl back home and from, you know, he's that he grew up next to his whole life. Uh, Al has a family and two kids. And Fred had a wife that he'd only been married to for 20 days before he was shipped off. Um, so each one has their own kind of fears that uh, are kind of coming through of their nervousness of returning back to civilian life after being at war for three to five years. Uh, so yeah, we kind of, uh, we jump through these, these two, three people's lives and they kind of start to intersect with each other and they kind of grow to be friends throughout the film. Uh, but right now we're just kind of getting to know them. Um, anyways, so they they land in Boone city and, uh, you know, another point that I want to bring up on this flight, they get this military plane, right? It's a B 52. It's one that Fred flew in the war and, and they're, they're hanging out B-17. up in the uh, B-17, excuse me, um, one of the Bs. And they're hanging up in the the front uh, kind of bombardier bubble. This plane is flying extraordinarily low to the ground as they're coming through, like going to Boone City. Um, but besides that, I know why this movie's so long. is because the entire thing, we have to let Homer do it himself. And he's constantly like... We watched a five-minute scene where he lights a cigarette with a match and it takes him forever. And we all sat there feeling bad for him. But I digress. They get back to Boone City, they get a cab together, they go and they're going to drop off Homer first and he uh, he shows back up at his childhood home with his uh, his parents and his his kid sister. They come out to meet him and uh, next door is his, his girlfriend, uh, Wilma. Um, she comes over, There's it's kind of an awkward um, interaction between everybody where the family's really excited to see Homer, however Homer's definitely like drawn back and he's... Uh, kind of stiff and acting a little awkward with his his hands and you know it becomes apparent later that homer has this this issue of wanting to be treated uh, like everybody else and he really doesn't know how to act with other people himself and that's kind of his uh his his, his little ordeal going on uh, after that the cab goes and drops off al at his home uh, it turns out that al is a uh, successful banker and has a nice estate and the richest of the uh, the three here um he goes up Beats his kids. They're all happy to see him. It's a great reunion. And uh, yeah, then we go to Fred, who Fred's life sucks, right? So (laughs) throughout the film, we find out how much Fred life sucks. Um, He goes to his uh, childhood home where his parents, well, I guess his dad, his his dad and his stepmom are, are, they're like under train tracks and shit and like this really kind of grungy part of the city. And uh, they go in, uh, they have a little bit of their their welcome home thing. But we kind of find out that Fred has some really amazing accommodations they don't really go into it at this point but they definitely mention the fact that he's got some bars and some medals and uh fred really doesn't want to talk about any of that kind of stuff he's done with the army and he's you know he's ready to move on and get back to being a successful person in his life he's he's kind of a i don't know he's a little bit of a a lost uh soul kind of trying to figure his shit out um anyways his wife though the wife of 20 days she's not there and the parents tell fred that uh 
she moved to an apartment in the city and is now working at a nightclub, um, unbeknownst to Fred. So Fred decides to go out and try to find her. Um, in the meantime, we kind of go back through, uh, back over to Al. Uh, Al is having a, I don't know, like a, he's given his son some of his war uh, souvenirs, right? So Fred, uh, or Al, sorry, he, he thought it would be cool to bring his kids some dead soldiers fallen shit like a, a sword letters, and a flag letters and, to his family yeah and, and, and like and uh al's son is he's kind of uh he's talking about how in school he's learning that war is bad and the nuclear weapons are even worse and um you know there this being 1946 the the nuclear bomb they dropped on japan the two that they dropped on japan have kind of sparked kind of a I don't know, like a, the the next stage of society's kind of growing up a little bit different than how Al kind of remembered before he left for the war. So he's he's struggling to fit back into place because everything seems different. His kids are getting older, and that's his struggle now is trying to get back to his family and and get things feeling normal again. But he's he's kind of realizing that things are different. There's nothing he can do to change them. His kids are already grown up. Uh, they're teaching things in school that he doesn't understand. I mean, he just came back from a war where he thought he was doing what he was supposed to be doing and it's even his son's kind of talking you know he's a little bit of a conscientious objector as well himself um al's decides that what he wants to do is he wants to go out and celebrate so he he gets the uh the mom his wife and uh the daughter uh whose name is uh, peggy um she's a little bit older she's you know of drinking age or whatever and they decide that they're going to go out on the town and and al al really goes hard like al is He's a drinker, and it's <laughs> he, it's hilarious his drinking and how it's such an issue. But it's never once called out as an issue. It's just almost a standing joke of his um, alcoholism, but in a good way. It's a lighthearted alcoholism. Um, <laughs> so they go out partying, and uh, throughout the night, the the three end up in, at the same place called the uh, Butch's, which is Homer's uncle's place. And he, you know, Butch is doing a, he's doing great, and Butch is still trying to kind of make sure Homer's not getting into trouble or whatever. He's a good uncle. And, and uh, Homer's, uh, he goes out because while he's at home, everybody's treating him like he's, you know, a person without hands, you know, has to be expected. The first night home, your son's missing hands. You're going to treat him a little strangely. Anyways, he can't take it anymore. He goes out for a walk and he goes to Butch's too to have his first whiskey. He goes in there and he orders a whiskey and Butch is like, nope, you're having a beer. Um, so, you know what, Homer's, Homer's still trying to, prove himself as being a man even though he's doesn't matter everybody in the army and uh in in like this this bar they treat homer normally right and they kind of like they don't make a big deal about him missing hands so he kind of he opens up and he feels he feels okay at this position of uh, fred he uh he ends up at this bar i think after trying to like go and find his wife at a couple nightclubs and can't find him ends up at butch's and uh then Al and his family show up and they end up having like a, uh, a big party at, at Butch's place. Um, Al and Fred get hammered and uh, Butch sends Homer home because the family's worried about Homer. But the wife and Peggy, they end up uh, they end up driving Al and, and Fred home after the bar closes on that night. Um, they drop off Fred at, at the apartment where his wife's supposed to be living and he can't get in. She's not answering the door. It's super late at night. And probably she's working the nightclub. Um so they bring Fred back to uh, Al's place, and uh, he sleeps on Peggy's bed. Peggy kind of takes care of him and puts him to sleep, and uh, he starts to have kind of PTSD nightmares and flashbacks, and Peggy kind of shakes him out of it and puts him back to sleep and lets him sleep a little bit more calmly. So at this point, uh, we've kind of established the three returning servicemen and their their struggle to kind of uh, fall back into society, and each one of them having their own, their own real... Uh, 
I guess, trials and tribulations of returning to uh, the United States. And each one's different, right? Yeah, so I, I did enjoy... Um, th- there's a few things I enjoyed about it. So one, to kind of just get something out of the way early. So Harold Russell, the the actor who played Homer Parrish, was actually a, you know, a veteran who lost his arms or his hands in, a, I think, a training accident. Um, he was in the army, uh, so it was a different circumstances and portrayed in the movie. But I, I thought that was interesting. He was also not a trained actor at all, um, which well, all things considered, I, <laughs> I, I think he did a really good job considering. But I, I think the um, the style of the day was also sort of like a very affectation, right? Like everyone has like these transatlantic accents and stuff, and it seemed like he didn't really. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say he had like a huge amount of range, but I thought he was pretty good. There's a lot of a depth into that kind of trivia piece. So the director, uh, director, he himself was a veteran and really wanted to capture, you know, the more realistic side uh, other than hiring actors and stuff. So uh, he sought him out. So yeah, Harold Russell. So he had an unfortunate accident with some TNT um, while he was instructing some paratroopers. He lost his hands, and then that's the... a that's a arguably much better story than my hands burnt off in a boat. Yeah, so his shit got blown off, and then uh, the army decided to use him to make a like instructional safety video kind of thing. Oh Jesus! <laughs> they just like ex- exploited the fuck out of this guy. I picture it like Looney Tunes style, where he's just like, "Oh no." <laughs> But it, it paid off because the director, like, saw that m- film, I guess, and then, was, <laughs> you know, that was the impetus for him to hire um, Harold Russell. On top of that, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and the Academy was just like, ah, this guy's never gonna win, you know, like, he's not a professional actor, so we'll give him this honorary Academy Award, <laughs> which they did. Pretty fucked up. That's but then dirty. Didn't they get the point of the like the whole movie that you should be treating them normal? Well, I neither think they here nor the there. Point. Yeah, they it's kind of shitty. But the good news is he actually did end up winning best supporting actor. Huh. Ha! So he Suck won that nerds. He won two awards. Two, yeah, he <laughs> won technically same. two Oscars for the same role. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know that there was so much veteran presence in this movie. Um. I just didn't look, but out of every movie that I've seen so far, just thinking about it when it talks about, because how many movies can you name that like are about, oh, the veterans came home from war and PTSD and all this shit. But like this one felt the most real that I've seen and the most like honest, you know, like they didn't start cleaning up the streets and killing drug dealers on their street, you know, like it, it was just like. Oh, they can't find a job. He has to get a job that he's way overqualified for, you know, or like no one's like thankless for what they did, but they're like, it's like a thank you for your service. But at the same time, I got nothing for you. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it's like for Al, though. Al, Al came out like a bandit from this whole situation. He came out. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, he, he went into it like a and shit, you know? Yeah. But I think it was interesting because his he like changed perspective dramatically, I think. He's almost self-loathing of his former self. Yeah. When I first the first beginning part of this movie, I felt like there was a lot of tension. Like it was almost like what crazy shit are these guys going to do, especially when Al just started like hitting the bottle heavy and he goes out on the town. I was like, oh, my God, he's going to 
You know what I mean? Like, is he going to beat somebody up? Is he going to that... do something insane? But then it turns out that Al's alcoholism is just the funniest part of the whole film. Like, it's, <laughs> his silliness with yeah. his drinking they... is... Yeah, you think they set up an arc for his alcoholism, yeah. but instead it's just... You go, oh, this is 1946. That's just par for the course. <laughs> like, that's just... Yeah. That's how you deal with it, Al. <laughs> like, because they have his wife, like, worried, and she's always like, uh... But they're... The movie almost like, ah, shut up. He likes to drink, so what? <laughs> <laughs> I like the uh, the juxtapositions of the characters from their former lives. So uh, Homer was like the star athlete, small town athlete guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's the one that ends up losing his hands. Um, Fred was super poor. And he's the one that was the commissioned officer. Right. Yeah, decorated out that was you. Yeah, and Al had, like, all of these, like, you know, private sector skills. Like, you know, he was a very successful banker and, like, all that stuff. And he was, he you know, he was the infantryman. Like, Right, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. got it the worst of them all. Like, Yeah, and then coming back, he was also the one who was like, I want to hang out with, like, my, you know, the, the guys who get me, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't want to go back and become rich again. Like, he almost preferred being in the mud. Yeah. Mike hasn't gotten to this yet, but he does a speech uh, near the end, and I, like, almost, it was almost a standing ovation, man. That was awesome. Yeah. That was dope. Um, we'll get into that later. There's some good points throughout this whole movie. Like, I'm going to probably dog on a lot of it, but I, I, I've had some emotional, tear-jerking moments in this film. A black and white first time that's ever done that. <laughs> As you yeah. say, with Maltese Falcon at number fucking four on your list or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that has a contingency on it. I have to put that up there. Um, uh, As they're flying into town to Boone or whatever, they're like this terrible like reused shot of them looking out the plane or whatever but they goes oh there's the the old field if i had a nickel for every forward pass i threw and i was like i for some reason i was just viewing football as i do today i was like jesus christ man he probably threw like 50 pat i was like oh this is 1946 he probably <laughs> threw like six forward passes his entire career <laughs> yeah but nickel's a lot of money <laughs> uh. homer is uh I would say the most boring character. Like, I get that he wasn't a trained actor or anything like that, but it's almost that his boring demeanor kind of added to the fact that he he keeps getting this thousand yard stare throughout the film, like he's like he's seen some shit, and but he never brings it up. Right, the guy who has the PTSD is Fred, who's composed and and suave, and but he has these nightmares where he cries. But Homer's just—I mean, you'd think he would be the one that would be. Well, Homer's yeah, an I'm... interesting one. Cause he, he he really kind of takes it all in stride, doesn't he? Well, yeah. I'll go into some vibes I thought was going to happen with the film a little bit later. But yeah. And, like, he's the most, I want to say, stable of them. Because, like, yeah, he's having issues, but his issues are he doesn't want to be a burden on Wilma, right? Like, that's kind of his arc, is he really yeah. loves Wilma, but he, he just doesn't want to feel like he's being taken care of. And he's very independent, but he, they they do demonstrate that he has his limitations on how much he can take care of himself. So he has like this kind of Homer. You're always like smiling. You're like, oh, okay, Homer's a good dude. Fred's a douchebag that like immediately tries to cheat on his wife within seconds of being home. <laughs> um, Al is a raging alcoholic, <laughs> and. Uh, he just gets drunk and gives veterans loans. That's all Al does. 
Well, That's... I guess it it might be useful to kind of lay it out, right? Like like you kind of start with Homer, like the conflicts that all of them have, right? Like Homer's is that, you know, he has like this, uh, you know, very visible, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, consequence of the war, right? Where he's lost his hands. And uh, yeah, like you said, you know, for him, it's about, you know, his, his sweetheart from before the war and uh, sort of coming to terms that like, oh, you know, she loves him regardless of his, you know, physical, uh, you know, disability or disfiguration. And, uh, you know, for Al, he doesn't have a lot. Like, I think his is sort of navigating being sort of in a a different person than he was when he left, right? He's got, like, raging alcoholism, but it's never really, like, an issue for him, like (laughs) you said. Yeah, it's 1946. (laughs) And uh, Fred, I think... you know, like we mentioned, is struggling to, like, get a job and get back into society and, like, married, had a shotgun wedding before the war and came back to, you know, also <laughs> as a different person and to someone who, you know, doesn't really love him either. So he's, yeah, you know, navigating that. So those are kind of the three conflicts. If you take the three as an entire package, each of them has a little microcosm of what you would consider PTSD. Yeah. Um, yeah. Homer takes the is kind of the depression and or a little bit of guilt side of it. Mm-hmm. Fred, you you know, you see the vivid flashbacks um, and the, the kind of haunting portion of it. And then Al is the, I think the struggle to get back to normal life because he's, you know, and, and then coping as well. You know, obviously he's drinking to cope and then he's just doesn't want anything to do with like the, the bank or anything. He really just wants to hang out with his army buddies, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, like, you can see how he interacts, like, because he was, like, this constant professional before, and now he's, more like, after being in the jungle with infantry platoons, he's kind of, like, crass. Like, he's like, hey, here's a gift. It's a dead guy. I think he wrote some stuff to his family on here, and his son's like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, his... his, his uh... Do you ever see anybody got nuked? <laughs> his soft son, in the meantime, is quoting freaking Oppenheimer's, like, Dude. now I've become the, you know, death and all that shit, and dad's like, I don't get any of that philosophical his, bullshit. His son is a douchebag. I hated his son, and he talks so weird. Like he was like, <laughs> it was like a weird young Patrick Stewart. Like, Luckily, he wasn't in this movie a lot, but uh, yeah, yeah, this movie def he definitely had like that, <clears throat> like forty style, like elocution, where like everyone talks the same way. <laughs> like if you watch stage trained actors, they have like the you know the the voice. Onto the 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 point about Homer and, and his whole kind of struggle and what you're saying about his personality in this film i got a lot of um suicidal vibes i thought that this movie was going to go a real different direction uh especially when he's laying in bed staring up at the ceiling in the dark and there's a gun above his bed you know what i mean and it's just and you know a little bit later he's shooting a gun in the garage and it'll go into that a little bit but yeah i was really worried about homer because you know one of the things like he talks about in the film is that he doesn't want to be a burden and he doesn't want to be a burden for anybody else he wants to show that he can do it but you know he's not accepting anybody's help that's a like the number one cause of of suicide or at least what people you know find from notes and what's left behind is they feel like they're a burden on society and homer was kind of expressing that that sentiment yeah i did like in the in the the, this movie didn't really go to those extremes Um, no it didn't but it hinted at it though. At least maybe I was yeah. reading into it. But it's weird that this is you know made in '46. So like I'm kind of refreshed that 
this isn't falling into the typical uh, stylisms of movies like this, even <laughs> though it like predates it by seventy years. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I do like the little quips that are throughout all of this. Um, Al, I think, is the best example of it. He does it. Two things I noted down when they all go to uh, the bar. And uh, Al is already shithoused. And the first thing he says is like, hey, oh, first things first, Homer has no hands, but he's cool with it, so we're going to be cool with it. I don't want to say a then, goddamn word about his metal claws. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, um, I, th- I think it was Al, it was either Al or Fred, but they were talking about something like war on the home front or whatever. And they make like this little quip. That's like, Oh yeah, I read about it in stars and stripes. Uh, you felt awfully sorry about the civilians. <laughs> and that was a nice little underhanded thing. As I imagine Al's just fucking pinned down by a machine gun. <laughs> Dude, they have some little jokes that you're like, Oh, that was written by someone who's, who's yeah. been there. Like, and how they interact with each other where the first thing they all do is ask what they did. And then they compare themselves to each other. Yeah. Like, Al's like, that's okay. I mean, one of us actually did work. Like, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, the old military tradition of, like, comparing whose unit was, like, more screwed up. Yeah. yeah. And I think even <laughs> even Homer is like, I know I was just a sailor. Like, Hold they're on. like, oh, yeah. but you have no hands, though, so that makes you more hardcore. Like <laughs> Al's always saying that. The, the you know infantry you know bullshit where he, he's like any change is an improvement when the wife's like oh you okay with the changes yeah i think they even said like oh no i was a sergeant i worked for my money like <laughs> yeah, don't, don't call me sir yeah like it was it was very well like how they interacted you could you could recognize that which was cool because they mess it up all the time nowadays i do enjoy that they back then talk shit on the air force even when it was part of the army (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i I think it was a really interesting era because a lot of the people you know actors or otherwise right you know were or directors like you know you mentioned were people who fought in world war ii just you know out of necessity like this is the era of jimmy stewart and you know like movies like this so i think it definitely captures it in a kind of way that like i don't know steven spielberg can't you know, <laughs> well, and it's crazy to think too, because you look at nowadays, every, we have a volunteer military. So if you're in it, it's because you chose to go. It's crazy to think that, like, I don't know how many young males in World War II were drafted and stuff, but like, just to think that one day you're a banker and the next day you're a machine gunner is insanity. And like, just that everywhere you go, someone's a veteran, basically, in 1946. In some capacity, you know? Yeah, and along the lines about this being a war movie made by people who actually went to war, uh, most, like, combat stories, at least modern-day movies that are made about World War II, it's about this, you know, a group of people who are experiencing constant combat for the entirety of the film. Whereas this is more realistic in the sense that each one of them had a had one kind of, like, you know, over the service of, of a war, you don't see combat the whole time you have missions that are the bad ones or the, you know, you know what I mean? The ones that cause mm-hmm. these real issues. And that's, was their kind of one thing They each had one story that uh, stuck with them from the war. Yeah. Yeah. They all had very different like reactions to it too, which I thought was interesting and probably pretty accurate, right? Like they all kind of took their experiences in very different ways. Yeah. Fred also on their first night out, Fred also took like 12 seconds before making a pass at Al's daughter. Like, with, I think it was their first moment. He's like, "Hey, you, 
<laughs> I was like, we haven't even met his wife yet. And he's like, hey, you want to go home? You're like, Jesus Christ. Well, the sequencing was off. Um, yes, I agree. Because as, as soon as we meet the wife, it's like, oh, yeah, this is like, that's never going to work out. Yeah, you know? that's my gripe. He needs to be with Peggy. Yeah, um, it was they, lazy. <laughs> but that has to happen first. Exactly. Yeah, and it didn't, and it was very uh, a roller coaster of like support I mean, for Fred. It sort of did because like he didn't even know where she was when he got back, but yeah. it, it didn't really connect the right way. Yeah, it, it seemed like the movie was like, yeah, oh, look, Fred's a scumbag. But wait, no, 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 his his wife's a douchebag. It's her fault. Like, you're like, why can't, I don't know. It just seemed kind of like, of course, they're going to make Fred's marriage. Like, she's just a gold digger? He was serving ice cream beforehand, so I don't see what she was gold digging for. (laughs) (laughs) Free ice cream, dude. (laughs) It's like a good deal. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it was probably like, oh, we're 18, I'm going off to war, let's get married real quick, and surprise, you know, three to four years later, you you know, you're both very different people, because, yeah, between 18 and 21, you change a lot. (laughs) She is kind of a product of 1946 writing, where... It has to frame her as the complete bad guy, and he's just like not in the wrong at all. Like, wait, it, did they did they have BAH back then? I did not. <laughs> I didn't get that feel at all. I felt like they really showed Fred in the light that he's kind of a product of his own environment. I don't think they meant to do that. I I think they sold her down the river, and it's like, wait a minute. Like, can't they both like just realize that they knew each other for or they were married for twenty days before he disappeared for four years? You know, and like grew apart or something, but instead it's like, ah, she she's not supporting him. And Fred's a good guy. That's why he's gotta go date that teenager. Yeah, and she she had some lines that were just laughably bad. Like it was so hard for me in the three years here. I'm like, well, I mean, it's you know, like maybe not apples to apples comparison there. I mean (laughs) but it was hard. While we're on this topic, uh, this comes a little later, but I'll say it now. So, like, Fred is broke when he gets back, right. which was very confusing to me because he specifically states that he used to make $400 a month in the Army. Over the three years, he would have made $14,000, which today is $234,000. So I'm like, where the fuck did all that money go? He spent a lot of time in France. <laughs> well, I didn't find out later on until uh, until we realized that it was the succubus at home who just was spending it all. Oh. Mm. I was going to yes. say like a Dodge Charger at 25% APR. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he's an officer. It's a Tacoma. Yeah. <laughs> a BMW 3 Series. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it, she she does say it at one point when she's talking to uh, Peggy in the washroom. She's like, "Oh, like when he was in the war, like I was getting five hundred a month, and uh, that's where it all went." Yeah. Uh, all right. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think of the three main characters, I think Fred was probably the least like uh, he was probably the the most ambiguous in terms of like hero, you know, like a good person status. Yeah. I feel like he got the most screen time, too, probably because he's the best looking of all the three of them. So they kind of hitched their wagon to Fred. Honestly, I think Al was the one who really carried the story along. Yeah, he was he was kind of the the foil. He was like kind of the straight man that both of the other characters kind of bounced off of. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I did like, though, even though he had his demons, 
he was the voice of reason and like the the kind of good oh, example of well yeah, yeah he was the only one I mean? with a job you know and the uh, the other thing is um one thing i enjoyed was that al's family was i felt like actually pretty functional right and yes we'll yeah. get we'll get I, I mean i feel like we're at the point where like i'm i'm starting to try and talk about things that happen later so, uh, so i should probably put a pin in it there but i mean al's family when he comes home like gives him a hug he has yeah, like normal he, conversation homer comes home and his mom screams <laughs> yeah, oh, monster. Yeah. <laughs> and like his dad offers like the weakest like oh she's probably just really excited to see her son home I'm like just don't don't sugarcoat it man yeah, like don't don't bullshit us here like they're just all so bad Wilma's the only one that's just like normal like so yeah this is another deviation from what I thought was gonna happen because when they're in the car. They're all talking about their former lives, and Al mentions that, you know, he's been married for 20 years, and that just, like, gave the foreshadowing that he was going to come home to, like, no support and all. You know what I mean? Like, it was going to be really dark, so I was very happy to see that, like, his whole family was just great Yeah, super supportive. Uh, It's very refreshing. He was, I mean, he was even being kind of a dickhead at the start. Like, oh, we'll just go one more drink, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, this is kind of what I was, I was alluding to earlier when I was saying that this had a very tense feel throughout the film, that I was expecting something a lot more dramatic to happen than what actually happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's maybe a reflection of, you know, uh, Al's adaptation too, right? Like he's, uh, he, um. Maybe we're all to... just too jaded now. We're used to real dramatic events happening after this kind of things. No, we're used to complaining about real dramatic events. <laughs> <laughs> I guess right. she, I guess she does kind of like go like, oh, yeah. thanks, Sergeant. I'll go get cream right away. I'm trying to remember that scene now. Well, while you think about that, I'm going to go on to the next part of the plot here. <laughs> There's no substance in this cream plot. <laughs> we are 40 minutes in. Mike has covered approximately one third of his notes, so we should probably get rolling. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's let's do this. So next section is uh, all the guys trying to get jobs or return to their jobs. Um, so Al, he's contacted by his old bank manager, Mr. Milton. He wants him to come back to the bank and right away without having any kind of vacation Um Al goes, uh, meets with him, and he's offered a uh, a better position to start giving out loans to returning servicemen and vets um, for small businesses and stuff like that. And uh, he's given a you know a salary increase, but uh, you know as we said, Al is kind of he's hesitant to do this, but he he begrudgingly takes it and goes back to working at the bank. Um, you can tell he really doesn't like it. Uh, we go to Fred. Uh, Fred's life still sucks. He is. <laughs> He goes back to the old store he used to work at where he was a soda jerk, which I guess means um, like a fountain attendant, like an ice cream guy. I don't know. I imagine he was one of those dudes that wears like the paper white hats, you know, and he looks like he's a he looks like a pharmacist, but he's not a pharmacist. Um, he meets his old boss who's now sold out that little drugstore to a big corporation who's taken over. And uh, they say that, uh, oh, you go talk to the manager, he'll give you another job. Um, Fred doesn't want to go back to this kind of part of his life. Like you said, he was, he was an officer. He was making $400 a month. Um, they offer him $32.50 a week, uh, which is substantially lower and, and keeps him kind of put down in poverty. He explains that he's, he, you know, he was a, a pilot or sorry, a bombardier. And the guys are asking him during his interview, like, what kind of skills do you have? And he says, I was a bombardier. And they're like, well, did you learn this, this or that? And he's like, no, I didn't learn any of that. I bombed people. And so it's kind of like showing that, <laughs> The, the military really just kind of is pushing these people back into society. It's uh, 
his Fred's whole thing is that he doesn't want to, you know, go back to being a loser and being broke. We uh, we don't see Homer really get a job. He's kind of still living at home, and I, I guess he's probably collecting, uh, you know, disability, um, which he should after losing his two hands. Um, but anyways, his whole deal is that he's still struggling with his family and being treated normal and being this burden on society. Uh, so he goes to his garage and shoots some wood with a with a <laughs> rifle. Um, his kid sister with the neighborhood kids, they're kind of. They're, you know, doing what kids do and they're talking about how Fred has hooks and how, you know, it's weird. And and Fred kind of uh, is, I don't know. So Wilma shows up and she's super sweet and she wants to like, she keeps pushing Fred or Homer to uh, like let her back into his life. And, you know, Homer's pushing back and pushing back, not having it. And he keeps being a jerk to Wilma and until the point where the little kids are looking through the window and he uh, Frankenstein monsters his way and loses his shit and busts his f- hooks through the window and yells at them. They go running away all terrified. And Wilma sees that Homer's really struggling with this mentally. And and uh, she goes running off and they're having, you know, their problems. We don't see him for a while after that. Um, that would have scared the shit out of me even as an adult. Just <laughs> two claws busting through a window. Just, you act, but you want a monster? Ah, here's Homer. <laughs> you, know, you know what scared me about that scene is after F- Homer was done shooting the wood pile that was 15 feet away from him in a garage, uh, he takes his gun and looks straight down the barrel oh. to like, see if it's clean or some oh. shit. Like, zero safety awareness with this rifle, even though he's been in the military. What a time um, where the neighborhood's like, oh, that's just Homer shooting in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so yeah, so Homer, he's, he's, being this, he's feeling like a monster and, and a burden. Um, jump back over to, uh, to, to Fred. Uh, whose life still sucks. He's broke now, and uh, he he decides that uh, well, he's 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 hasn't he hasn't found a job yet, and his wife Mary or whatever she's you know she's she's used to partying and working in a nightclub, and she keeps wanting to go out and do stuff. And it's been a couple weeks, and Fred's gone through all of his kind of saved up money, he had like a thousand bucks that he had in in his bank account. And it's all been spent now because they keep going out and partying. Um, Mary kind of calls Fred out and asks if he's goofy in the head because uh, he keeps having his PTSD nightmares and screaming about his friend that went down in, a, in a, one of his bombers during one of the uh, uh, one of the missions. They have a big fight. Fred kind of says, we're no longer going out. We're, we're cooking at home. And we kind of see their marriage start to fall apart as well. He decides to go back to the grocery store because he's out of money. And he takes the job for $32.50 uh, working, selling products, high-end products to these, these ungrateful, rich, snobby kind of people. And um, Again, kind of a begrudging kind of way. Al, he's uh, he's back at his job at the bank, and uh, some servicemen come in, and we kind of see that Al is – he used to be this banking kind of like, you know um, – I don't know, he, 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 he didn't have any sympathy for the little man. At least it implied that. Didn't really go into it. But now that he's been to war and he's, he knows Homer and, and you know what I mean? Like these, these GIs are coming to him and asking for loans, and he uh, – without – getting collateral from these people he's giving out these small business loans which is against the bank's policy or whatever um homer's there he's collecting his disability and they just have a little bit of interaction homer pops in and out throughout the plot not really important um after uh we see kind of al establish this that he's uh he's gonna give these loans out and we we jump back over to uh to fred again he meets peggy at the uh the grocer and uh, she's there buying some other stuff and he starts hitting on her again and he's definitely looking for something else besides Mary who's at home doing nothing. He uh, takes her out to cafe and they have a little bit of a, a moment together and, and uh, while they're going out to the car, 
uh, Fred leans in and, and gives her a kiss. And uh, I don't know. It's awkward. She she doesn't really she likes it, but she's not 100 percent there, obviously, because he's married. Uh, P- Peggy gets in her car, drives off and uh, calls Mary and, and invites Mary out th- that night to go out to her owls, one of his parties. He's getting uh, some kind of, I don't know, giving a speech accommodation for his new um, position at the bank. And uh, Peggy does this because she has fallen in love with Fred and she wants to prove to herself that, that there's nothing there by bringing Fred out with his wife so that he she can, you know, I don't know, feel guilty or something. Guilt trip or goes away the way you'd think it would go. Uh, they all go out to the party. Al's drinking again, but it's hilarious. So it's cool. And uh, Peggy's <laughs> friend shows up to go with him, and she's kind of just a friend, so Peggy's still kind of available or whatnot. Uh, they go out to this big ball uh, in a tiny room where everybody's dancing up against tables, and it's kind of a running joke throughout this film that during the 1940s, when the GIs returned, apparently there was nowhere to go party that wasn't smaller than a kitchen. Uh, they have Al give a speech at dinner about his acceptance, and he gives this um, dramatic speech where his wife's kind of... Um, She's kind of, uh, I guess, censoring him a little bit because he's really hammered. But the way the speech goes is he essentially talks about how this bank, how he loves this bank and how they have these fundamental blah, blah, blahs and these, uh, you know, the way that they're going to be successful in the future. And Al's speech kind of takes a turn and he talks about how this the future is really the the little guy and, and taking risks and that, you know, giving out these loans and he's going to continue to do that really kind of pushing back in his boss's face because he got in trouble for giving that loan out to that other guy, uh, that he's going to continue to be that way. And everybody loves it. It's a great speech. And his wife's super proud of him. And he, he kind of shows that even though he's hammered drunk, he's still a, a good man, uh, probably a better man from coming back from the war. After the uh, the events of that night, we go to Al's family. Peggy loves Fred. Ask them out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So... uh. Mary and Peggy, uh, they talk and they reveal that, uh, yeah, so Mary and Peggy during the party, they go uh, and hang out in the bathroom. And, and Shane, I think you talked about this a bit. This is where, where Mary sees that Peggy's been hanging out with this to-do guy. And uh, she's like, oh, you should definitely marry that guy because he's rich and you'll be happy because he's rich. And Mary's like, I'm married to, you know, poor ass Fred who's poor <laughs> and not like giving me any kind of happiness in my life. And, you know, call him a loser and shit. And Peggy realizes that in this moment that her little plan to not love Fred anymore backfired. And she sees that Mary's this horrible woman and that uh, she has been using him and soaking up his money and his, you know, all, while he's overseas. And uh, now Mary or sorry, Peggy is back into Fred um, and she decides that she's going to break up their marriage. Uh, so that night she tells well, I guess Alan and and the mom kind of call Peggy out on it, but Peggy comes clean and says that she loves Fred and she's going to do whatever she can to uh, to break up the marriage. I love when um, the scene where she comes in and the mom's like, Al's wife's just like, oh, she's in the Fred. And Al's like, what? And like, they basically, it, it just devolves into Al's just drunk at the kitchen table and he's like, that's a terrible idea. Fred is terrible like no i I thought some like al is the only one with his head screwed on straight yeah he's the only reasonable one even his wife is like oh you should go for it (laughs) dislikes fred he's just like he's married what the fuck are you doing (laughs) i'm drunk and i know this is a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) but it does lead to my favorite al scene 
where he basically just takes him to Fred to a, the cheap Italian restaurant is basically like, I will. That's not. That hasn't happened yet. Stay within the oh. margins of page number two, please. <laughs> what happened? No, it was the bar. Oh, it was Duke's? Is that what it's called? Something yeah, no, we're like, fine. Okay, yeah. we'll cover that real quick. Yeah, so he goes and uh, meets with Fred at the bar and tells him not to do that. Yeah, and he basically says, like, listen, bud, you flew airplanes. I I fought in the jungles. I'll kill you. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, I might forget myself and snap your neck. And and like, Fred's <laughs> like... Fred doesn't even challenge him. He's just like, fair enough. <laughs> Which Al is such a badass now. Like the more we talk about Al, the more I just like his character where he's like this self-loathing banker that threatens to snap necks now. <laughs> like He's, he's probably the most changed out of them all. I know. I know June wanted to talk about his speech, but the whole taking the hill thing was, was gold. I know. Like, it was like during his speech, he's like, and uh, amazing. Oh, he's talking about. It. He's like, yeah. When I was, uh, you know, I got a couple of anecdotes from the military or whatever my service, and he's like, uh, you know, the, the stuff that related from being a banker, I brought into my uh, my leadership uh, in the military. <laughs> I I just keep thinking yeah. of Tropic Thunder with the guy that's like, I don't know the scent, what it's called, I just know the sound it makes when it kills a man. Because. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing this speech, and you're like, fuck yeah. But I'm also like, if I'm one of the partners, I'm just like, who hired this guy? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. He's going to kill us. <laughs> and he later on, he's just like, no, nah, he won't fire me. He doesn't have the balls to do that. I'm just going to have to keep fighting him every time I do this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I love how underhanded the, everything was as his boss is sitting right next yeah. to him. Because he's just like... Yeah, one day in Okinawa, Major comes up to me and says, Stevenson, you see that hill? <laughs> All right, you and your platoon are going to attack it. So I told the Major, but that operation involves considerable risk. We don't have sufficient collateral. <laughs> <laughs> Just shitting on everyone. He's like, you're all <laughs> dirty. Like, just drunk. <laughs> so, so I said to him, I'm sorry, Major. No collateral, no hill. <laughs> and like the partners just don't know what he's talking about. They're like, yeah, I mean, you can't do it without collateral. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's right, so, you know. This is good business sense. <laughs> but like, they're all sitting there and it's just like, you know, standing ovation type thing. But at the same time, they're like, he does realize we're a bank, right? <laughs> like, well, he 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 does close it up nicely because he says like, you know, then he's like, I love this bank, I love this company, and we're gonna have a line of customers wanting to get loans, and they're gonna say we're gambling with their money, but we will be. We're gambling on the future of this country, and I was like, fuck yeah, yeah. dude. Mm-hmm. It was dope. Historically, he would be right. Like that was probably like the biggest period of American growth because all these people coming back and you know like <laughs> government everywhere else loans. in the world is <laughs> bombed to hell. So the U.S. Yeah. Well, staying on the subject of Al, like during the speech or during the night, his wife's scratching under the tablecloth the number of drinks he's having. Oh um, yeah. Like keeping track of his shots, which again, this is like one of those moments where you're like, oh no, you know he's gonna. He's nope. gonna do something bad, but then he gives this amazing speech, and she's all she's wells up with pride and goes up and hugs him. There's no consequences nope. for alcohol. I just like, picture the director drinking. And he's like, "That's right, all the wife does is nag, nag, <laughs> nag." What you drinking? But it made him a damn good man. <laughs> I, I think she does stop him like once or twice. She's definitely like in his corner. She's definitely supportive. She stop. I think she stops him once or twice before he goes too far. You know, like she gives him a little. 
Ixnay on the fucking talking shit on your boss thing. Yeah, and then he's straight up like, my wife doesn't want me to tell these anecdotes. <laughs> uh, he also has a scene earlier where I think his he made his daughter the designated driver. And like they go to the bar <laughs> yeah. and he's like, hey, driver, come in and have a drink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. It, uh, it, it wasn't overbearing with the comedic relief either. It, everything just seemed like it was... It would have happened. It was realistic. Very natural. Yeah. But it yeah. was also, like, for for an older film, it was really, like, witty funny. Like, he, he was making himself, like, one of, after the night of drinking at that party, I think, he's about to go to bed, and he's uh, put it, like, an Alka-Seltzer in, like, a water, and he's kind of stirring it up, getting frothy. And he, like, sets down the one that has the drink in it and tries to drink from the empty glass, like, and then just, like, uh, and looks down and picks up. Like, that kind of acting that Al had throughout the film was constant, like, uh, what would you call it? Uh, comic relief. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll go on the record right now as saying, like, Al was carried this movie. Or yep. Dan yeah. Andrews. Yeah, because Homer was good. Homer was almost like a heartfelt relief when he come in. He, I got more of, like, the, he was the most intense of this, like, as far as, like, what is going to happen. I thought he was going to kill himself, honestly. And, like, if you watch a three-hour movie and you're like, when's Homer going to do it? It's, it's hard. Like, three hours of that kind of stress... Homer had the most heartwarming arc, I feel like. And then Fred, I had some real mixed feelings about Fred. Just because, like, it's just so skeezy, the whole thing. Yeah, there's there's a couple things that I feel like sort of undermine his arc, you know? Like, on, and we'll get to it as we go through, but on paper, you know, his... His character arc is that, like, he's this man who returns to a woman that doesn't love him and finds someone that really does, right? Like, on paper, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. But in practice, I feel like there's a lot of things that really sort of, like, undermine, you know, the heartwarmingness and, like, maybe the moral uh, high ground of Which that. Which is it's kind of frustrating because I almost wish they would have cut the love story between him and Peggy because just the story of him, like... As a former officer trying to find, he can't even find like minimum wage work. You know what I mean? That's all he can find. And he was a captain, you know, like a decorated. We, we captain. wouldn't know any captains that are looking for minimum wage work, would we? Yeah, around here. Yeah, Shane, tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I had no problem finding work. Like, you didn't walk into a drugstore and say, I shot guns. <laughs> That's a job skill, right? Yeah. I just... Wait, Shane, you're a, soda, you're a soda jerk? <laughs> Shane's just a regular jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, his story and that whole thing was good, and it kind of gets undermined by the Peggy stuff. At least it did for me. Like, Yeah, I mean... I I liked Peggy. I, I thought she was a great. I don't character. have a problem with Peggy. I have a problem with the relationship of Peggy and Fred. Um, I think well, if things so got resequenced, it would make yeah, it would yeah. work a lot better. I think so too. Because as soon as as soon as we we meet his wife, it's like, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll skip ahead uh, just a little bit, but basically, she ditches him, right? Which is like for another and veteran. Then it's <laughs> yeah, and he kind of uh. And and then now that he's not with uh, Mary or Marie or whatever, uh, he's um, 
then he's able to pursue Peggy because it's not a mess anymore, right? But I feel like that kind of lacks the moral authority of someone who's like doing the right thing. It's like, oh, you know, it, it's just things happening to him, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> All's well that ends well. I have no consequences for my actions. <laughs> yeah, he's not like the principal agent. He's just like, oh, I guess that works out for me. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and the character of Fred was really saved for me at the end, which we haven't gotten to yet. But. Is that are are you referring to when he's serving a root beer float to the Nazi Just supporter? Said we haven't gotten oh, to it yet. It. Why would you then get to it? I Jesus. didn't know if that's what we're referencing. God damn it. Well we'll get to it. He I implied we will get there. I'm a goddamn veteran, okay? Give me a break. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Um, you, you were an officer. You must have been taught how to read by the army. And a gentleman. <laughs> uh, speaking of the uh, the wives, though, right? Or actually, say the girlfriends and the wives, kind of their um, their role in this whole thing. It makes sense that Peggy would kind of go for Fred because of the night where he was having his, his nightmares and she woke him up and kind of nursed him back to health. There's a real big theme throughout the film that the women that are now taking care of these men who were off doing war, right? Like Al's wife said that, you know, trying to make him breakfast in bed and like treat him like a king or whatever. Uh, Peggy really liking the fact that she can help this broken man, Fred, and, uh, you know, uh, Wilma wanting to take care of Homer and, and not make Homer feel like he's a burden on people. And Al's wife, too, does it in a way that works for Al because he's like kind of hardcore and didn't he like when he gets a phone call he's like I don't know if I want to go back to my bank job and she's like shut the fuck up you're going back to your bank job like yeah essentially <laughs> she's like shut up and go work and he's like all right I guess I'll yeah. go work <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that's not that uh not that out of place for the especially after World War II and all these you know men coming back to the who were left behind the women who took over the country and kind of you know like now it's their i like that phrasing <laughs> i didn't mean it like that shane it took her uh, jibs. they're they're there now to do the supporting role that they are where have been also been waiting for it's really it supposed true. to be a nice thing no. why'd you turn it into a bad thing because <laughs> i can't help it <laughs> and june's been awfully quiet so yeah it's a, th- we've been recording for a while but this podcast won't be that long once i cut out all of shane's <laughs> shit <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I did like, again, it's, you can tell that the director was a veteran because you, you instantly like, you're able to pick and choose very easily. Who's the, the quote unquote antagonist in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, like the other guy that works at Fred's, uh, store or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, sleazy McGee. <laughs> yeah, sticky, sticky. When sticky, yeah. When Fred goes back to get his job, like one of the other employees is like, "Oh, and you know, uh, and he'll he'll get his job back, you know." And uh, the guy is just like, "Yeah, nobody's job is safe with all these servicemen crowding in." What a fucking statement <laughs> yeah. to be like, "Oh, Aldi, look, you're a veteran. What does, it, yeah. does that Where mean? F- you get your job back? <laughs> Where the fuck were you on D Day? Yeah, right. <laughs> fucking sticky was." Getting sticky. <laughs> flat foot sticky here. <laughs> we could have used you on that razor wire sticky. <laughs> uh, but no, it it is interesting how all the people that didn't go for whatever reason are kind of the bad guys. And right? God, what, well, a, <laughs> what an interesting thing, though, because not everybody could go. You know, but like to be one of the 
fighting age men that didn't go. What an interesting well, like, place uh, to be. It's like the uh, the big Lebowski, right? Like Lebowski was one of the only men that remained during because Big Lebowski takes place during the Vietnam War, and so you know he was the dude was the, the only kind of one of the males that remained behind, and so he was top dog, right? And so this little sticky guy, he was probably uh, probably cleaning up while those other guys were off doing stuff. That's true. Fucking sticky. <laughs> hey, why, he he but, doesn't want to relinquish that. Like he's now the floor manager, and he's an asshole, and he treats Fred. Granted, Fred is also kind of a dick, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah, that's kind of okay, like. Wait, hold on a second. I spaced out for a second. Where did the big Lebowski come into this? <laughs> <laughs> you see, Sticky is the dude. And, but, but, <laughs> I was gonna say that Fred also seems to be paying for how he used to be, because it does pay yeah. that Fred is different than the man he was, obviously. Um, but it sounds like he's kind of a douche to Sticky. So Sticky's just like, now it's his, I mean, he called him Sticky, so, you know, maybe, maybe this uh, kind of, you know, Fred had it coming a little bit. I don't, I don't know, it's, the whole thing with Fred in the job market is very interesting. So June, if we're trying to keep this below the actual runtime of the film, do you want me to just get the plot done? We owe six oh, hours. That, and, yeah, in that case, we got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we can record well into next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go to the end. Okay. All right. So we went through. We talked about how um, the last thing we said was Al sat Fred down and told him to back off. Right. Yes. So yeah. uh, in the in the meantime, uh, Homer learns to play the piano terribly, and uh, Fred. <laughs> Jesus. I just spit out my drinking. <laughs> he, Homer playing the piano with Butch at the bar. Homer and, attempts uh, to play the piano. Picturing him playing Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh so after after uh, Al talks to Fred, um we're we're at Butch Butch's bar where they, they had their conversation and Homer's there playing the piano with uh no not Butch, sorry. It's Dutch, right? No, Butch. Yeah, Butch. Playing the piano with his uncle Butch, and Al goes over and says what's up to Homer, and uh, Fred leaves to go and uh, call Peggy and, and tell her that they're done and this nothing's going to happen to her. So she's all heartbroken and crying. Um, doesn't understand that Al kind of was the person behind the whole thing. Fred goes back to being a soda jerk and he's jerking sodas and <laughs> the jerking sodas. The, uh, I don't know what a soda jerk is, and so he's. <laughs> He's working at the the commissary, whatever convenience store, and um, Homer shows up to say what's up again, and orders a cocktail or, or uh, sorry, a uh, a chocolate vanilla uh, ice cream float, whatever. There's a dude sitting at the bar who's reading a paper, and in the paper it's like the next big war, and uh, this guy is a um, another uh, anti-war kind of guy, a conscientious kind of objector. He sees that Fred's missing his hands and he sits next to Fred and asks him about it and Fred explains what happened and this guy's like, oh, that's a shame. Like, the military shouldn't have done this and, and, and sorry, Homer, not Fred. And Homer's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm, you know, proud of serving and they get into kind of a tussle and, and Homer follows them over to the, the, the checkout stand and rips his American flag pin off of his chest and Fred jumps over the bar to defend homer and and just lays this dude out like they kick his ass through some glass and he falls on the ground and uh, fred gets fired for beating the shit out of this guy um <laughs> they leave uh 
Fred tells Homer, like, hey, like, you need to go home, find Wilma, and marry her. And I'm going to go home to his shit wife and, uh, I don't know, do the opposite. So he goes home, finds <laughs> that Mary has been really kind of cheating on him. Like, that that dude, there's another guy there who uh, we saw in, in, like, a brief scene earlier where they're kind of talking to each other. And it's apparent that uh, Mary's been... Um, cheating behind Fred's back and Mary to kind of calls Fred out and says like, well, what were you doing in France and all those other places? Um, and so they, they're, they're done. Fred leaves. He goes back home to his, to his dad's place. Uh, the dad asks if he wants to keep all these documents that were sent from the war. And, and Fred says, no, he's gonna, he's just going to catch a flight going anywhere. Um, he's going to get out of there. Um, in the meantime, Homer, he, he didn't go find, Wilma, he just went home again, and he's again uh, feeling really kind of bad about his situation. Uh, goes down and gets a glass of milk before going to bed, where he needs uh, support from his his pop to kind of take off his his arms and or his uh, hooks and get ready for bed. Uh, however, before that happens, uh, he's down in the kitchen getting a glass of milk, and uh, Wilma shows up. She had seen him through the window or something, and she comes in and tries again to confront Homer and ask him, you know, why why Homer's being so distant, won't let her in. Um, and Homer says that, you know, maybe you should go away. And Wilma says that her family's trying to send her away. And he's like, you know, maybe you should. But she pushes him not to. And he decides, okay, like, you come up with me. And she kind of shows the process. And he, he finally is vulnerable to her and explains that he doesn't want to be a burden. And it's not that he doesn't love her. It's just that he doesn't want her life to have to be so difficult with him. Um, but Wilma, she, being a very nice, sweet girl, she says... That she wants to be a part of his life, and 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 then Homer's he's he's happy at the end there. Back over to Fred though, whose life still sucks. He he leaves, goes to the army airport, and tries to get a flight going anywhere, and you know goes and hangs out in the fields of all of these uh, decommissioned military airplanes that are out on this new airport that they have in in Boone, um, Boone, um, in Boone. So. Did I miss anything with Al at this point? No, this is all just the conclusion of, of Fred and them, right? Yeah, so while Fred's out there, he's climbing up in, in one of the B-17s and goes up to the, the front end where he would have been and has a, kind of a moment again of f- having this PTSD. And this dude like yells at him, get out of there. And it's a scrap like yard workers and then the ones that are ripping these planes apart. And this dude um, was in the was in the army, he was a tanker or something like that. And... Uh, Fred's like, hey, you got a job? And he's like, not for fly boys, but then they, <laughs> then, but he gives him a job. And then, uh, so now Fred's life's kind of starting to not suck as much. Um, last scene uh, is uh, we go to Homer and they're having their wedding where, um, you know, Al's there, Peggy's there, all the friends are there. And they're at their house and they have this wedding ceremony in their, in their house. And Fred shows up and is the best man for uh, Homer because uh, he said that he would do that for him when he told her to, he told Homer to go home and marry that girl said he'd even stand with him and so they they have their the entire wedding ceremony in this movie um, they do the whole thing couldn't believe it and uh, Peggy and Fred at the end end up being like you know for better or for worse or whatever it's probably gonna be worse but let's try together and that's the end of the film yeah so oh we also there's a part where the pop was reading all of these Rec- uh, war medals like mm. documents and we find out that Fred was was actually like a hero. He had a medal from Doolittle himself. Yeah. So um, <laughs> one thing I really liked about this the first time we see uh, Homer's 
hooks in frame is the same time that um what's her name wilma finds out or like sees them mm-hmm. so that was really cool because for the rest of the movie we hadn't actually seen how the you mean hooks... when we see his bare oh, like, arms you mean like the harness yeah yeah, like they're they're kept out of frame or his his uh, lack of hands, I guess. Um, first time we see it yep. is the first time he's like 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 Mike was saying where he's vulnerable, um, which is really cool. Yeah, I was asking at the end of this also where the what the fuck happened to the Stevenson boy? <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait, which one was the Stevenson oh, I'm, kid? I'm pretty sure it was literally like a contract negotiation thing. Like, if I remember right, reading about this movie, that oh. kid's contract with the studio expired, and the producer just didn't want to spend the money uh, to renew it. He sucked anyways. Uh, that's That makes sense. Because, yeah, at the beginning, he's, like, an integral part. And then in the middle, uh, during one of Al's, like, drunken, like, I want to go out and see the town. He's just like, just just the three of us. <laughs> like, just the three of us not with my like, wait a minute. son that loser <laughs> <laughs> i got some uh i got some trivia and technical notes um but i'll i'll wait until y'all are done um i have one more note and that's the direction in this movie is really good and it kind of like the scene that sticks out the most to me just from like your scene setup and everything is the ending with fred going through the junkyard of old b-17s and airplanes and stuff and like just that symbolism of fred identifying with these old war planes or not even old they're like the war just ended and they're already scrap heaved and being forgotten and torn apart and like him finding a job that is basically taking care of them or like repurposing them to go on like that whole thing is so well written and just the symbolism between it and i was I really liked that. Plus, I like that the tanker, yeah, is just like their interaction earlier. He's like, "Oh, well, we we don't hire pussies, all right." <laughs> I was a tanker. I did you know, real work in in Germany. <laughs> throughout this podcast, at the very beginning, we were talking about how Peggy and Fred didn't like seem like they should be together. I, it sounds what you just barely brought up is a good point. Is that Fred doesn't care about his accommodation? Isn't doesn't care about the amount of money he's making? He just wants to, you know, just I don't know exist and be happy. Um, where as Peggy is kind of un- under the same kind of mentality, right? She just wants to be a part of that kind of lifestyle. What I'm getting at is it actually kind of does make sense that, you know, Mary and Fred would break up and, and Fred would get with Peggy. I think, uh, as far as what Fred wants from, from a, from a person, a, a partner is not, uh, material goods, you know, and having a job where he's just scrap heaping planes. That's, that's great. That's, he doesn't need much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it does make sense for those to be together. I think that is, like, a good, like, outcome for him. I think it's just, like, the journey takes some, like, weird missteps. Yeah, I think I think June or whoever brought it up first, the sequencing was the, the issue with them, too. If they fix that, that fixes a lot of issues. But Yeah. Um, no, it ends, Speaking ends of really issues. Well. Ah, issues. I, I came to realize at the end of this, it's not that the... Obviously, this movie had a problem with brevity. Yeah. Um, yes. It's not that the whole movie dragged on, but every individual scene was just like thirty seconds longer than it needed to be, and then eventually yeah. by the end we have a three-hour fucking movie. Because just like you're saying, they show the whole wedding ceremony. They show like <laughs> stupid little scenes of like people opening and closing doors. I mean, like it was so long. 
they have to show yeah. Homer with his ability to use his hooks for everything, and they sit there and watch him get it done. Yeah, and like I think they could have established that Homer is very capable, um, just like they did in the beginning, where he literally lights a cigarette and does all this stuff, like to demonstrate that. See, Homer is like really good um, with his new. I think he literally yes. lights a cigarette two or three times just to show he can. So very, like, very yeah. impressive, by the way. I was like, damn, that is that is really good. Yeah, right. Yeah. To to his credit, he actually is pretty good yeah. with those things. Like to the actor's yeah. credit. Yeah, like that's, <laughs> that's really what good. <laughs> and I was stuck for so long trying to figure out how they articulate. I assume like it's the harness hooks to the other arm and you can like pull, but I I, I still am baffled by how they articulate, but it's a journey for another that's day. That's another that's another another podcast, right? I I also feel like we need to clarify that we all have some semblance of military experience before we get canceled by veterans everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, come on well, now. June and Shane have uh, our veterans, and Mike and I are army rejects. So. I got- well, if, if you if, if, <laughs> when, if you go back and you re-listen to this podcast, June, you will notice that I have not said one thing about any branch or any person. Like I've been very careful about that. I, yeah, neither have I. Was a major in my ROTC. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's calm the fuck down. All right. <laughs> I won the Distinguished uh, Academic Cross. <laughs> most improved. That is stolen valor. I know your academic record, and I know no such thing happened. Um, speaking of awards, uh, the the thing I was going to say that kind of redeemed Fred for me was at the end when he, the his dad is reading the uh, award citation, and... It really sets in stone that he was a hero, but you wouldn't be able to guess it from the rest of the film. And I really like that about his character is that he didn't he didn't try to exploit what he did over there um, to like get ahead or anything like that or like to try to get sympathy, right. you know. Um, I think he spent a little more time in uniform than he needed to do, but <laughs> I'll chalk that up they to a, chalk that up to a movieism. Yeah. Mary was constantly trying to get him to wear it when they go out. She was the one who's almost exploiting him, right? She wants yeah. to show off that yeah. he was this decorated yeah, and, service and member. That's, and that's what I was going to say is that that clash between the two already it was it, it's a, very good that they put that in the film. Doesn't he know all he had to do was put stickers on his truck? He didn't have to. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of the, there was no really representation of like stolen valor throughout this. I kind of got the feel that when um, we have the confrontation where Fred comes home, Mary's there with the the new, uh, you know, the homewrecker boyfriend cheater guy, the dude that uh, he puts his jacket on his blazer and he's wearing a um, uh, airborne uh, pin on his on his chest and I feel like he kind of made fun of that he said like oh I see you're a serviceman too maybe indicating that maybe he's full of shit yeah I mean I, I enjoyed it because it's not like it's not just because these guys were veterans that like they're good people right yeah. like but I don't know I, I that guy was also like an entirely forgettable character so <laughs> he was just yeah. there to cause um, the divorce or give give the viewers a aha she is a bad person I knew it yeah. You know, one gripe I do have with uh, Fred is when he's interviewing at the drugstore at at the start, he's almost being spoon-fed a list of questions if he says yes to any of them. It's like they're looking for an excuse to give him a job, and he's just like, nope, don't know a thing about leading people, nope. just drop bombs. Just know how to kill like, people. Have you ever, 
Have you ever done anything with logistics? Nope. Just dropping bombs. I know. I was <laughs> it's like, like this um... guy is trying to find like, like just, just fucking say yes to one of these questions, man. We'll give you a job. <laughs> yeah. So I got some technical notes if we don't got anything else. Yeah, I think we're, I'm ready to move on. Okay. Um, this was one of the first films to use a, like a deep focus lens in the film, which kept the entire frame in focus. Ooh. Which played out uh, the best in uh, the during the piano scene. Um, Al had just told Fred, like, you're going to call Peggy and tell her you're never going to see her again. And so he's in the background on the phone. And uh, while this, like, uh, piano scene is going on with Homer. So that really played out with this uh, as far as, like, cinematography goes. That That's, that's a... That's really interesting. Like, I wish I had seen that. I was more distracted by how shitty Homer was at playing that piano. He's <laughs> got claws, Mike. He's got claws. <laughs> I honestly think that piano was probably also out of tune or something because even normally it didn't sound good. That's true. <laughs> I don't think we're expecting Beethoven out of this dude. <laughs> Mike, what we really uh, realize is Mike some credits hot cross buns. <laughs> <laughs> Mike hates chopsticks. <laughs> he really hates chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I digress. Please continue with the fun facts. <laughs> um, William Wyler was really all in on this whole like Harold Russell not being an actor thing. Um, he was very angry at the studio for them sending him to acting classes because um, he really wanted that raw kind of, you know, everyday man vibe out of the acting. And there was even so that at the wedding scene, I don't. You guys probably noticed during his uh, last like line of the vows or whatever he he messed it up. Misspoke. He stuttered. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was an actual mess up by the actor, but they left it in because it sounded more natural. Yeah, it seemed like he was nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you're saying we should stop hi- hiring actors and hire veterans to be in movies? No, because we fucking saw that in that Seal movie, which was oh, so no. bad. <laughs> Was it Act of Honor? Or no, Va- Act of Valor. Act of Valor. <laughs> the uh, uh. the guy who played Al Frederick March was actually a veteran uh, of World War One, though, and uh, of course Harold Russell was also a veteran. You know, as you know, of course, due to his uh, his backstory and his, you, you can't have a training accident if you never go to training. So, <laughs> um, there was a uh, another scene early on. Um, when Homer is lighting everyone's cigarettes and uh, he lights the other two and asks if anyone's superstitious as he's about to light his own and uh, they say no and he's like well I am and he throws it out and lights another match that calls back to uh, a three on a match superstition which like came about in the Crimean War or some shit but it carried on through multiple conflicts that like three cigarettes being lit was too much time so like during the, they say like the first mm. cigarette, the enemy takes aim and, and like the you know second one or whatever, and then the third guy gets shot. Wait, so we're gonna keep we're gonna we're gonna keep that little bit of trivia in there, but you're gonna cut my big Lebowski shit. <laughs> <laughs> this aggression will like not stand, man. <laughs> not stand, <laughs> fucking amateurs. I want to cut that line too. <laughs> also, why would he say like, is anybody superstitious? No? Okay. Well, I am. <laughs> Why not just <laughs> shake out the match and then light a new one? He's open someone else to be the yeah. asshole. <laughs> it did, yeah. did they get, like, more money for making this three hours? Like, what the fuck? 
It it was a little bloated. It was entirely too long. Yeah. I mean, it, you could have you could have done so many cuts throughout. It's almost like the person who was doing the editing didn't you know didn't have anything to do. He with actually it, right? wasn't just... an editor. He was a machine gunner <laughs> on Guadalcanal. <laughs> I mean, there is some truth to that because again, the fucking director he hired all of his crew specifically from veterans. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, this is uh, also the era of the epic, right? Like Lawrence in Arabia and mm. Ben-Hur or whatever, right? Like, and it's 1946. What else are people doing with their time besides going to the movies? Um, I had a lot of time to kill. So, any other trivia or should I talk about the reception? No, that's, I think that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, this got extremely positive reviews. Um, it outgrossed Gone with the Wind. Wow. Uh, which was... Yeah, I mean, I think Gone with the Wind has taken the lead back again on like re-releases and stuff, but uh, this was, you know, enormously successful. And to be honest, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear that this is sort of in its own ballpark, especially like from the era. Um, it won, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine Oscars, was it? Uh, eight eight it won Oscars seven. and one honorary Oscar. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Eight, including the honorary, I think. Nine, um, including the honorary. No, okay. I see seven on Wikipedia, but anyway, Wait. it got best motion picture. Well, Wikipedia disagrees with itself, but best <laughs> motion picture, best director, best actor, best supporting actor, best screenplay, best editing, best scoring, nominated for sound recording, won an honorary award, and then also won, I guess, the... Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award, which is separate from the honorary award, and I think maybe doesn't count in like uh, the okay. films. Yeah. So I anyway, gotcha. it somehow won nine awards at the Oscars, of which seven I think are sort of your traditional uh, yeah. Oscar categories. They heard sound editing. They go, "Oh, it's a war movie." Oh, it has no war in it. Damn it! We already put it in there. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 competition though wasn't that strong. No. Let's be fit. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, we we saw the runner up last week. Yeah, so let's see. Um, yeah, and you know, still highly regarded. I think personally, I can understand the claim. That this is one of the best movies of the forties. Uh, I would 100% buy that. But before we get it too much into what we think, let's get to the part that we all know and love where we rank it among the movies we've seen. Uh, so this is number 46 for us. And, uh, you know, ranging from modern to old. Uh, where do we all put it? June, what do you think? I'm going to put it at number 15 between Rio Bravo and Out of the Past. Um, I really like the film. I was pleasantly surprised uh, at how how much it kind of kept me interested despite its runtime. And I think if it was like, I could do a cut of this movie and cut it down to an hour and a half without losing any substance. So that kind of killed yeah. it a little bit. But overall, good movie. Um, yeah, number 15. Interesting. Shane, where do you put it? Oh, I'm having trouble with this one, but I'm kind of be in the same park but not the same number so i'm gonna do it just above anatomy of a murder and under the king speech at 23 
Um, I like this. Just uh, working to preserve kink speech as the fulcrum of your list there. I was going to say I like this more than (laughs) Ratatouille, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. (laughs) But (laughs) damn, Ratatouille is stuck right there above kink speech. (laughs) But uh, no, yeah, it's I I enjoyed the movie. I, I would like to see June's cut and I'd probably really love this movie then. But um, mm. release the June cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where I am. Mike, where do you put it? Uh, so my so my list is, it's almost, if I had a subcategory option of my list, it would be definitely number one of the 1940 films, or even black and white. Unfortunately, Rope is at number nine, and there's a lot of movies in between Rope and where I think this movie actually sits that are better than... than uh, the this movie so that being said it's better than rope but it's not better than jaws so it's going at number 20 right above an uh, anatomy of a murder yeah yeah and you know i think um looking through my list i think the movies that i compare it most with in terms of like era and how i like them but also sort of like similar in terms of pacing and plotting and stuff probably fairly close to fiddle around the roof for the sound of music which i have next to each other so i'm gonna put it at 15 just behind those which maybe it feels a little high but not not outrageous so yeah number 15 for me nice i think we're all kind of similar here where i I think it's a quality movie it's good with some flaws in like the timing and pacing that are maybe an artifact of the era but like pretty good and like kind of insightful too so final verdict do you recommend watching it june uh i i begrudgingly say yes um because the movie and the substance within it is very good it's just a really long undertaking so i wouldn't be like i wouldn't say it's a must see but i would recommend it yeah shane yeah yeah i do wish it was shorter because i I like this more than a lot of the other 40s films that we've watched. So I'm going to say yes, because despite it being three hours, I truthfully didn't feel it totally, but I did take breaks. So that might have been why. But yeah, yeah, I, I say watch it. It's it's a good classic film, and I had never heard of it until this list. So, Mike? Um, so as far as this film goes, uh, the the story was good. The, the wittiness, the, the, it was funny. It was almost more funny for what I would expect from a 1940s film. It, uh, it had a lot to offer. The length, again, way too long. A lot could be cut from it. Uh, but as far as recommending watching this, I personally really liked it. But I don't think, I don't think it's worth going back and checking out. Yeah. I, I think for as high as I ranked it, I could say the same. Like I don't think this is a must-see there's a lot to like about it. I think it's overall a good movie, but I think at the end of the day, it's, it is also a skippable movie, but yeah. So, I mean, there you have it. We've ranked it. Thanks for joining us for episode 46. Uh, uh, catch us next week or eventually when we talk about dog day afternoon, a 1975 crime drama. Al Pacino. Oh, Alrighty. Well, I'm gonna cut it here so I can take my dog out. <laughs>